بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ چنائٹ از دا تھرٹینتھ آف جون ان دا ایئر الحمد للہ وی موو آن ٹو دا ففٹی فرسٹ نائٹ دا وی گوئنگ تھرو دا ایگزالٹیڈ اینڈ دیئر لائف آف دا ایمینٹ کمپنین Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu And as promised to mention a reminder for the great days that are approaching. So in a report in Tirmidhi ibn Majah Behaki in his Sunan al-Kubra, Fikr Sunnah volume 2 page 154 of the English translation, Abu Harir radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there are no days during which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to be worshipped more than during the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. There are no days during which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to be worshipped more than during the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. So, in this report, our beloved messenger was highlighting that when you do good deeds, the most auspicious times are in the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And confirming this further, in Sayyih Bukhari, Abu Dawood Tirmidhi ibn Majah Tabarani, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa there are no days during which the pure deeds are more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than these 10 days. He was asked, not even jihad, ya Rasulullah, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, The Prophet ﷺ said, not even jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except for a man who goes out himself taking all his wealth and returns with nothing. So here in this flawless report, the Prophet explained that even going out in jihad does not equal the righteous deeds performed in the first 10 glorious days of Zul Hijjah except the one who's martyred and takes his wealth with him. So note the days are fast approaching. I, I think six or so days are left. So the last few sessions I've been taking a glimpse into the unprecedented knowledge of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud with regards to the glorious Qur'an. So in continuation, in Qurtubi in his tafsir, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he said, It was difficult for us to memorize the words of the Qur'an, I due to our awe of it, but easy for us to act by them, I out of our love for obedience. However, after us will be another people for whom it would be easy to memorize the Qur'an, I due to our lack or awe, but hard to act upon it, I due to our love for disobedience. So here in this fascinating report in Qurtubi in his tafsir, Ibn Mas'ud was highlighting something very interesting. He goes, it was difficult for us to memorize the Qur'an. So if you stop there, you would think, oh, did they have bad memories? No, because they were too in awe of the Qur'an. So they found it very, very difficult to memorize it. But it was easy to act upon it. So why was it easy to act? Because they loved to obey. But then he says, it's going to reverse. After us, a people would come, it'd be easy to memorize. In fact, people boast about it. 
I memorized the Quran in six months. What are you boasting about, brother? <laughs> the Sahaba found it difficult to memorize the Quran. But it will be difficult to act upon it. Why? Because of our love for disobedience. So Lord, this is another thing that you need to reflect upon when it comes to the companions of the Prophet Clarifying further, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, when one of us would learn 10 verses, he would then not move beyond them until he understood their meanings and applied what was in them. This is Al-Tabri in his tafsir and Shaykh Ahmad Shakir states Sahih in his checking only one page eight. So he's explaining the companions would learn 10 verses. Go back to the previous report. Very difficult for them to learn because of the Quran. But then he said we would not move on until we understood and applied the 10 verses. So there's the difference. The Hafiz now are just shells. They haven't got the Quran in their lives. The Hafiz in the time of the Sahaba were imbibing the Quran as they were memorizing. So not complete contrast. People now are more bothered about the shell. It's more important to live the Quran. So 10 verses. Imagine if somebody goes, I want to put my son into a madrasa. And he goes, right, what's their standard? He goes, they, you'll become Hafiz. But they will not allow you to move any further until you've learned the 10 verses. So even if you're there for 10 years, because you're not moving any further, because you haven't got the 10 verses into your life. Be honest, how many of us will even end up finishing a surah of the Quran, let alone the entire Quran? So note, lack of veneration. They haven't got a connection. So the connection is people have got their own standards, false standards with regards to the Quran. Abdul Rahman al-Sulami, rahmatullahi, he said, the ones anhum who used to teach us the Quran, they reported to us that they used to request to learn the Quran from the Prophet When they then used to learn 10 verses, they would not leave them until they apply what is in them. Thus we followed suit and learned the Quran and also applied what was in them at the same time. This is in Tabri in his tafsir and Shaykh Ahmad Shaki Rahmatullah states Sahih and he's checking only one page eight. So this adds a dimension. Were the Tabi'een any different? No. The Sahaba refused. He goes, learn 10 verses. And if they didn't see it in their lives, he goes, go. Don't bother going further with the Quran. When they saw it in their lives, he goes, now you can continue with 10 verses. So, this is why you get very interesting reports which people don't realize. Sayyidina Anas he said, when somebody learned Surah Bakala by heart, we considered him very high in our estimation. This is Imam Malik's Mawatta. So when you hear that report, you're thinking, well, I know a lot of people who've learned Bakala by heart. He wasn't talking about that. How many people have got Bakala into their heart? He goes, these people were very high in our sight, meaning they were living the Bakara, Surah Bakara. So note again, contrast. <laughs> Therefore, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud would time and time again warn others not to rush to the Quran. He hated it when people rushed. He said, do not scatter the recital of the Quran like the scattering of sun. Do not rush through it like hasty recitation of poetry. Rather stop at its amazing parts and make your heart move with Indeed, none of you should let his concern be to reach the end of the surah. 
This is recorded by Hafiz Bahubi in his Ma'alim At-Tanzil 8-215, Hafiz Ibn Qayyim in his Zad Al-Ma'ad, Volume 2, page 251, Ibn Qatir's Tafsir, Volume 10, page 220 of the English translation. So simply put, what did the great Ibn Masood say? He goes, don't rush to the Quran. This is not a good, you know, habit. He goes, reflect upon what you're reciting. Make your hearts move. Then he said, Never let your concern be to get to the end of the surah. So forget about the end of the surah. First night of Ramadan, what do people ask? Mm. When's Khatam? <laughs> and then he goes, you haven't even started the Quran, brother. And then he goes, no, no, I just want to know when Khatam is. So Ibn Masul said, that should never be your concern. Why? Because that's, the Quran wasn't revealed for that. Where does it say in the Quran? You should be looking forward to finishing the Quran. Show me the verse. In fact, when you finish the Quran, you start again. Mm-hmm. That was the Sunnah of the Prophet. How tragic it is to see that even during the holy month of Ramadan, many anxiously await the completion of the Quran during Tarawih. To Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They get happy. You know, it's khatam today. Oh, khatam. And he goes, Why are you so happy for, brother? He goes, Quran khatam, brother. Are you happy? And he goes, But why are you happy? You got the whole Quran in your life, no? Then were you happy about? The Sahab would give you a mukha. Because what the heck is this? So note again, you know what's going on. On another occasion, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he said that the the parable of the Quran is that of a man who sets out to find a place for his family to stay, and he thus arrives at a place where there is an evidence of rainfall. So now he's giving you Mathail. Why is he giving you Mathail? Because it helps to explain. He goes, the example of the Quran is like a man. He's got his family. And he wants to find a place for them to stay. So he goes to a place and he notices rain in that place. Whilst he is thus walking, admiring the beautiful scenery, he suddenly thereupon comes across some beautiful gardens. He thereupon says to himself, I like the traces of rainfall. But this is indeed far better. He then said, The first place is like the Quran. And the beautiful gardens are the splendor of the family of Hamim in relation to the rest of the Quran. This is recorded by Hafiz Bahubi in his Ma'alim At-Tanzil, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 8, page 439 of the English translation. So what did he say? He goes, because I'm looking for a place for my family to stay. And he sees a beautiful place where it's rained. So what's, what do you see when you, what do you notice when it rains? You see beautiful plants growing, you know, greenery, etc., etc. Beautiful smell from the plants. So he's, he's admiring that. But as he's admiring it, <coughs> he comes across some other beautiful gardens. Something even more amazing. He goes, I like this place better. He then explained, the first place is the Qur'an. So when you look at the first, because I'm talking about the Qur'an there. But there's a special place in the Qur'an, Bole Bale. Where's the special place in the Qur'an? You mentioned the family of Hamim. The family of Hamim. How many Hamims are there? Seven. Seven Hamims. Now think about that. Do we even know that? As soon as you hear the reciter go, Hamim. He goes, this is the extra special garden, Ibn Masood said. You don't even know what the hell is he talking about. He goes, is it? What? What supara is that? Right? Supara? You, know, you need a supara. 
On another occasion, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, When I reach the family of Hamim, it is like reaching a beautiful garden, thus I take my time. This is recorded by Hafiz Bakhwi in his Ma'alim al-Tanzil ibn Kathir's Tafsir, volume 8, page 49 of the English translation. Now think about it. <laughs> Have you ever seen that in your life? You go you know, to Spain, you see the beautiful gardens. Have you seen a person just run, run straight through it? <laughs> and it goes, amazing, amazing, and he runs straight through it. You think, what the heck, are you, what's this guy doing? Is he lunatic? You catch up with him, why did you run through the, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? You're flying through it? Because if you really love the gardens, why are you rushing through it? You should have stopped, sat on the bench. You should have talked to us. You should have taken images, shown us what the, you know, the dance the state of the Muslims. They're running through, what a beautiful book. Hang on a minute. You're flying through Harbin. And you say you love the book. You're contradicting. So Ibn Masood said, I take my time when I get to Harbin. Why? Because I want to admire the beautiful gardens. In another wording, the great man said, the Hamims are the debaj of the Qur'an. The Hamims are the debaj of the Qur'an. This is in Behaki, Hakim Sahih, Zahabi Sahih, Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musannaf, number 10,332, Ibn Al-Mundir, Fat'ul-Kadir, 4-479. So let's explain. So there's seven Hamim Sudats. Now why is that interesting? Allah Ta'ala like seven. Isn't that true? So we'll get back to that in a bit. They are continuous. Allah Ta'ala hasn't separated them. That's another interesting thing. Hamim, Hamim, Hamim. It's seven and it finishes the 46th. Rasulullah, sorry, Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu said, they are the debaj of the Quran. So now we need to know what this word means. Debaj means silk brocades embellishments. Sick, thick silk brocades and embellishments. So if you get silk, how precious is that? If it's thick silk, you're thinking even more precious. That is how the great Ibn Mas'ud described the Habibs. Because they are the debaj. They are the beauty of the Quran. Sahih Hadith from Ibn Mas'ud. Now, what did he mean by that? He's telling you there's so much in here. You need to study. Now, waste your life catching, you know, next pesa. <laughs> right? Allah Ta'ala is giving you the Quran. There's no wealth after the Quran, the Prophet said. Is he telling you the truth or is he lying? Then Allah boy, is your wealth better? So now, why seven? In a direct report, our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu each of them the seven blessed Hamim Surahs will come on the day of resurrection and stand at one of the seven gates of hell and he will make the following dua. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let not anyone enter those gates who used to believe in me and recite. This is in Behaki, number 508, Kanzul Omal, number 2621, Abdur al-Mantur, 4-99 al-Bidayah. So how many gates of hell? The Quran says there's seven. Seven gates. Now, what does that teach you straight away? How many gates of paradise? Eight. So why is Allah Ta'ala had given you one extra gate of paradise over hell? Educate, guess. 
make it separate and make it different from the gates of the hell. Okay, but why? Why not equal seven seven? What did Allah Salah decree before he created about himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala? My mercy is greater than my anger. So if he was equal, he's contradicted. His mercy is paradise. So there's eight. Seven gates of health. Where does it mention the seven gates of health? Where in the Quran? Surah the Hijr. Where's Surah the Hijr? See, this I'm just only putting you on the spot for a reason. Are you connected to the Quran? So if I'm listening to your answers, I'm thinking, go and get, you know, Sunday sport, study that. Right? So, Surah the Hijr. Allah Ta'ala mentioned seven gates. Why is he mentioned seven gates? The Prophet said, every one of those seven gates, who's going to be standing at one of the gates? One of, one of the Habibs. Imagine, what they're doing here, what's this? What dua do they make? Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let not anyone enter these gates who believed in me and recited me. Now what do you think of the debauch? <laughs> Is there any way on earth you're going to enter hell if you've studied Hameen? If you, you know, like Ibn Masood goes, I take my time. Because these are special surahs, very special to me, very dear to me. And what's interesting, are there any commands in Surah Hamid? Any ahkam? No. They're all Makkan surahs. So Allah Ta'ala is making them very extra special. Seven. Hamid. And what's interesting, in some of the war cries where the Prophet would go, his war cry would be, Hamid, la yansurun. Meaning, Hamim. He goes, we will be victorious. He would recite it to ask Allah for help on the battlefield. Look how he was connected to the Hamims. So now, who's entitled to these du'as? Somebody goes, I want to be, you know, I definitely want the Hamims to protect me. Those who believed in me and recited me. So he goes, oh, it's me, that's me, yes. Yeah, <coughs> right? And he goes, what do you mean it's you? So he goes, okay. Seven Hamims, where are they? No, no. <laughs> Which the, what is the first Hamim? Which surah? Surah Ghafir. Surah 40. Right? What's the last Hamim? Surah Al-Ahqaf. So, and how many Jews are you talking? You're talking about two Jews of the Quran. They are very special to Ibn Masood. Now think about it. Who had the greatest knowledge of the Quran? Ibn Masood. So the one with the greatest knowledge of the Quran is saying, these are my These are very dear to me, these suits. So what do you notice? If you've got any desire, you're thinking, I want a piece of the action. You know, what's happening here? I've got no connection with these suits. Don't even know where they are. He goes, oh, you want to be safe from the fire? 100%. Open the Quran, brother. Stop wasting your life. This majestic man, who also taught us there is nothing wrong with having favorite surahs. Nothing wrong with that. For he himself once said about three surahs. Surah Al-Isra, Surah Al-Kahf, Surah Maryam. They are amongst the earliest and most beautiful surahs. And indeed they are my treasure. Subhanallah. They are amongst the earliest and most beautiful surahs. And indeed they are my treasure. This is in Sayyid Bukhari, 
Fattal Bari 8-655, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, Volume 5, page 550 of the English translation. So now this is flawless. What did Ibn Masood say are three of his very special treasures? Isla? Al-Kaf. Are they all consecutive? Yes. Surah 17, Surah 18, Surah 19. So straight away you're thinking, what? Why? You don't need to work it out. He knows something about these surahs. And those of you who've studied those surahs, what do you notice? They are very special surahs. You go into it, you think, subhanAllah, surah, you know, al-Isra, starts with the Isra, imagine, talks about the ruh, and it, you know, it's an amazing surah. Surah al-Kahf talks about, you know, three of the questions the Jews asked, Zulkarnain, Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, with Khidr alayhi salatu wasalam, and, uh, you know, it mentions the story of Adam alayhi salatu wasalam, surah Maryam, all the prophets. He goes, these are amongst the earliest and most beautiful surahs. They are my treasure. In other words, I love these surahs. So what do you notice about this connection? It's like, forget it. He, the whole Quran is connected to. Why? Because he was very dear to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, when throwing stones at Jamrat al-Qubra, Ibn Masood stood facing the Kaaba to his left and Minar to his right. And he said, al-Baqarah. In the same way, the stoning was performed upon whom Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed. This is in Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, Marif Al-Ahadith, Volume 2, page 531 of the New English Translation. So those of you who've done Hajj, they throw the stones at the shaitan, Hajjis. The big shaitan, that's what we call it, because we don't know any terms, right? But it's actually referred to <laughs> Jamalat Al-Qubra. That means the large pillar. And what's the sunnah? The sunnah is to stone the shaitan and then to make a dua. What does it say Ibn Masood did? Because he stood facing the Kaaba to his left, Mina to his right. What then did he say? He could have said this. This is what the Rasulullah did. Did he say that? Look what he said. Haqadha ramalladhi unzidat alayhi surat al-Baqarah. In the same way, the stoning was performed upon the one whom Surah Baqarah revealed. How did he describe Rasulullah? The one upon whom Surah Baqarah was revealed. Why did he mention Surah Baqarah? This is Ibn Masood. He's making you think. He could have said the one upon whom the Quran was revealed. Did he say that? The one upon whom um, Surah Ikhlas was revealed. He goes, Baqarah. Those now showing his special affection for this blessed surah. What do we know about Baqarah? The Prophet said in Tirmidhi, Hassan Sahih. It is the peak of the Quran. <laughs> this is interesting. Where is the Prophet using? What does that mean? The peak of the Quran. Where do you find the greatest verse of the Quran? Surah Baqarah. Which verse is it? Which verse is it? We know it's Ayat al-Kursi. Yes. Two and two five. No, sorry. The two five five. Very good. MashaAllah. So some of you do have a connection. Verse two five five. How many verses altogether in Surah Baqarah? MashaAllah. Making me happy now, right? You know something about the Quran. 286 verses. What's the middle verse? 143. 
What is it saying? Verse 143. Allah mentions in the middle of Surah Baqarah, verse 143, you are a middle nation. Ummatul Wasata. Why is it beautiful? He's found there. Because you're in the middle of Surah Baqarah. Allah has left beautiful secrets in the Quran. Surah Taha. What does Allah mention? Rabbi Zidni Ilma. Oh my Lord, increase me, increase me in knowledge. Hmm. Which verse of Surah Taha is that? Surah 20, hmm. verse 114. So why is it there? It's a very famous dua. Rabbi zidni ilm. Allah taala's taught us to make that dua. Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. Surah 20, verse 114. What's the secret? 114, Allah Ta'ala was telling his beloved, don't rush. He goes, just make this dua. Because he was wanting more of the Quran. Rabbi Zidni Ilma. But where did he put it? Verse 114. As if to say, there's 114 surahs to be revealed. Don't be in a rush. But, I ain't got time for Quran, brother. Imagine, I ain't got time for Quran. Scholars are dying. And they're saying, we wasted our life. We should have studied the Quran. And what are we doing? Are we wasting our lives? We are the ones wasting our lives. Imagine. And how much of a treasure is the Quran? The report says there is nothing more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not no heaven or earth than the Quran itself. So imagine somebody asks you that question. Who's the most beloved thing? What's the most beloved thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? People say Rasulullah. Say no. That's amongst the creation. What's the most beloved thing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I guess confused, eh? Quran. Quran is uncreated. Allah Ta'ala loves it too much. So just the fact that you, did you know that? If somebody goes, Allah Ta'ala doesn't love nothing more than the Quran. So straight away, anybody with Iman, what will he think? I need to connect with this book. If, you know, end of the day, if Allah Ta'ala loves it, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Joe Blood says. Allah Ta'ala loves this more than anything. So I need to connect. If you connect, you've connected to what Allah Ta'ala loves the most. Who was the most well-versed in the Quran? The one who's telling, whose life we're going through, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Why? Because he was the special student of Rasulullah. And to reiterate, what did the Prophet say to finish? He said, in the Haki in Shu'ab al-Iman and Abu Nu'im al-Hiriya, Sayyid Hadith, whoever wants to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa let him read the Mus'haf. Whoever wish to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, then let him read the Mus'haf. The Prophet told you in a Sahih Hadith, if you do this, Allah ta'ala will love you. The Rasulullah will love you. If you read the Mus'haf, and yet how many Muslim brothers and sisters do I know? Very strong in other deeds. And even my Quran is weak. <laughs> of all the things to be weak in, you know, if you're weak in other things, and he goes, but no, my Quran is solid. Very good, brother. That's the most important thing. Why are you weak in the most important thing? That's like going into a gym and saying, I'm very strong in everything except squats. Well, you've left the most important exercise out. You might as well be in love with squats. Forget everything else. So think about that. So note again, why? Because people are devaluing the Quran. They're ignorant. They don't realize what they're devaluing. 
Allah Ta'ala will raise people with this book. He will lower people with this book. We've been lowered. Why? Because we've left the Quran. If you've left the Quran, Allah will lower you. He promises that in Sahih Muslim. But if you want to be honored, go back to the book. And not where our own worst enemies. You notice. We start saying to people, don't study the Quran, brother. They'll confuse you. You hear people making statements like that. What you want about, brother? What should I study then? Gospel of Barnabas. Right? Shaitan saying, yeah, I get it. But you just said it openly to me. Quran is going to confuse me. You know, imagine what other kufr statement is that. Astaghfirullah. Are there any questions you have?